Hello, welcome back to the God's Story podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again in Palmerston North, New Zealand by my co-host, the Reverend Ian Reid Rido of King's Grace Presbyterian Church, Palmerston North. Ian, welcome back. Hi, how are you, Brent? I'm doing well. Now, we're back in this rather grey, grey old day in uh, the fine city of Palmerston North. We're back in the book of Mark and in chapter 7, verses 24 to 37 today. Now, last week we were in court with Jesus, in effect. What, what actually happened? So what we see is some people coming to accuse Jesus of, uh, well, they accuse his disciples of being unclean, and by association they're, they're accusing Jesus of that. And really it's, it's kind of a hit job. They're, they're trying to get rid of him. Um, but Jesus goes on the, the counterattack and shows how they're actually far away from God and uh, that their, relig- their religiosity is actually leading them further down a bad path, uh, further away from God rather than to God. How did Jesus attack, because that's the only word for it, attack, the Pharisees' religious legalism? Well, what he does is he cuts right to the heart. So he quotes from Isaiah, but he cuts right to the heart. Sorry, what what they're doing is they're showing what your hearts are really like, which are far from God. How is legalism, uh, because we talked a bit last week about, about legalism and religious legalism especially, but how is legalism a problem in the church today? Well, it's a problem everywhere because it's in our hearts. Yeah, it's what it's what we all tend towards is forms of legalism. Uh, but I think it's a particular danger when we aren't constantly reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel. Uh, and when we say, "Oh, you can be a good person or a moral person or whatever it is, um, you can do it," that that's always going to end up in forms of legalism. But what the gospel does is say, "You can't do it." But Jesus has done it, and he will empower you to become like him. It's a, it's a totally different conversation then, because rather than saying, I can do this on my own power, which you can't, uh, but as soon as we do that, we end up you know, in forms of legalism, where I'm trying to save myself rather than allowing Jesus to be the one that saves us. Yes, and so today we have, uh, well, first of all, let's read verses 24 to 30, and I love this. I love this uh, story, this account. We meet the Syrophoenician. Is it Syrophoenician or Syrophoenician? I never know how to pronounce this. We'll call her the Syrophoenician woman. And from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, Rita, we're back in Gentile territory, aren't we? Yeah, so Jesus is kind of going further and further off into the Gentile kind of area. Um, We don't know why, but it's kind of interesting that in Mark, a lot of his ministry is outside of Israel. Mm. Yes, he journeys back and forth, doesn't he? And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon Gone. Now, this is always a bit, a bit of a controversial um, section, this, because of Jesus' use of the word dog, but we'll come on to that in a minute. How does this section of chapter 7 compare and contrast with the previous section, Rito? So you've, you've got these religious leaders coming to Jesus saying, hey, you're unclean because your kind of disciples and the people you hang around with are unclean, but look at us, you know, we're, we're you know, kind of these perfect people who are close to God. And then you have 
a perfect example of someone who is totally unclean. You, you've got this um, Syrophoenician woman uh, who is kind of, she's far away, you would expect, uh, from the kingdom. You know, she's a Gentile. She just got kind of, um, you know, no you know, kind of religious kind of experience, you know, it's particularly around Judaism. And she's hanging out with a daughter who has a demon. You've got all these things together, mm-hmm. you know, the heaping on one thing after another about how potentially unclean she is. Yes, and, and how does this is what fascinates me because how does the gentleman's faith? Can we come on and talk a bit about the background, the, the background to this uh, Tyron side in a minute? Because we've made some notes for discussion. But what's how does the gentile woman's faith contrast with the attitude of the Jewish authorities? Here she is, someone with no. Um, Jewish or uh, experience of, of faith, presumably, mm. and and yet she seems to have the faith, the very faith, the thing that the Jewish leaders who should have the faith don't have. I think this is the, surpri- the, the surprising thing about this is that you have these Jewish leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they should have this faith, they should understand who Jesus is, but she gets it. They don't, she does. And it's just, it's kind of the, the upside downness of what God is doing and, and what the, the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is that it is not about your knowledge, it's not about your pride, it's not about what you can do, but it's about coming and understanding who Jesus is and believing in him. And she's really stunning, isn't she? Her faith is, is magnificent and she has the guts to stand there and, and really debate with him and, and, and have the wit to be able to respond to him in faith and beg him really to to heal her daughter. Yeah, she's so quick-witted, isn't she? Oh, she's amazing, isn't yeah. she? And, and at a time when, of course, um, Jewish rabbi would not have associated with women in public, presumably. Oh, no way, you know, kind of. And that's the astounding thing, that when you see Jesus' interaction, particularly with women, um, it's it's very countercultural. Um, but particularly a, a Syrophoenician woman, you know, a Gentile woman, that just would not happen. Uh, and so, because in uh, many Jewish, you know, kind of, um, particularly the Pharisaical kind of law would be that you you do not associate or do not touch women who are outside of your family, and that's other Jewish women, let alone a Gentile woman. Yes, let alone a Gentile woman who's got a a, a demon possessed daughter who is uh, therefore ritually unclean from all sorts of perspectives. Yeah. Now, what is the significance? Because and why are we told? about Tyre and Sidon. What's the significance of Tyre and Sidon and the significance of the fact that this woman is a Syrophoenician by birth? She's actually called a Canaanite in Matthew's Gospel, I think. Yeah, kind of, you, you could probably fill us in a little bit more on some of that, but, you know, kind of, that the, these are places that are under God's judgment. The, these are not places uh, where, you you know, any Gentile person would want to go, for a, sorry, Jewish person would want to go for a start, but... You know, they're, they're often places of scorn. They're places of uh, iniquity, and God's judgment is going to fall onto on those places. Yes, I think uh, Tyre and Sidon were both Canaanite cities. Uh, they're under judgment, mentioned as under judgment in Isaiah, but they were once symbols of Gentile faithfulness under Solomon, because um, Israel did a lot of trade with mm, Tyre right. and Sidon um, under Solomon's rule. I think, uh, and uh, the interesting thing, well. I can ask you the next question. How do Jesus' actions here refer back to Elijah? Because this lady refers back to uh, the, an account of Elijah's ministry too, doesn't, doesn't she? Yeah, there's this interesting account um, in 1 Kings where, where Elijah kind of goes... Um, is it to Sidon that he goes? Yeah, it's pretty much... I think it's pretty much the same place as Jesus is now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he raises 
the so there's a widow there, uh, and he raises he raises her son, uh, and they and he kind of lives there for for quite a while, mm-hmm. doesn't he? And mm-hmm. they kind of and, and they look after him, you know, kind of as a kind of escape, I think, from from kind of some of the the authorities at the time. Uh, but you know, it seems like Jesus is mapping the same path as well that Elijah takes, kind of uh, in in his ministry. Yes, and to what extent, I wonder, is there also a reference back to another Syrophoenician woman in the life of Elijah, Jezebel? Well, in Kings, are they, play, they kind of played off each other, I think, a little bit, that you have the faithfulness of some of them, uh, but particularly that Jezebel is the one that leads the heart of the king away. Mm. Is it Ahaz? Ahab. 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 Mm. That's right. Um, he le- she leads Ahab's heart away from following God uh, and... He's, he's such a weakling, you kind of when you read that, but, and, and she sounds like such a tyrant. Uh, but you you have um, both of them, but particularly Jezebel, just hating Elijah and just kind of wanting destruction on him. And his blood gets he ends up his blood is licked up by the dogs. Interestingly, the the, uh, the dogs mentioned uh, dogs mentioned here in this account too. I wonder if there's some connection. I don't know. Hmm. So, um, how does the woman respond to Jesus? Well, she comes to him, which which is kind of interesting, isn't it? And so, um, so she hears about him, uh, and she comes to him and falls at his feet. She's clearly heard what's going on, uh, and is responding in faith to who Jesus is. So w- whether he, you know, she thinks that he's some type of sorcerer or something, what we don't know. But the thing is that she is the one coming to him and kind of believes that he can do something about it. Yes. Now, how does Jesus respond to the woman? Because uh, the Lord Jesus often being criticised by uh, scholars and others for being, well, downright rude to her and calling her a dog, which was a, a, a term for a Gentile person, wasn't it? Yeah, but the, the well, verse 27, let me read that again. First, let the children uh, eat all they want. That's referring to the Israelites, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And so the word dogs there, I mean, it does sound harsh, doesn't it? Um, you know, no one wants to be called that, <laughs> that in, in any culture. But the word that Jesus uses is not the, the word that you'd use for Gentile kind of in that reference, but it's a word for a pet, you know, kind of a very loved dog that would come and, you know, it would be... Um, you know the the house pet that would sleep in your bed and that that kind of that kind of thing. It's oh, okay. So like a little puppy. So he's saying it's not right to give the the food to the little puppies. Yes, it's not it's not a harsh term no, that, that we no. expect it to be. Just because we we don't have kind of a, a similar word that would kind of work there, but it's the it's the pets. Mm. No, not not just the, the the mangy dogs out on the street or anything like that. So yes, he could have said this in an endearing sort of way, not a harsh way at yeah, all. Yeah, I, I think it is endearing ra- mm. rather mm. than. Um, yeah, harsh. Yeah, what is Jesus actually saying about his ministry, though? Well, you know, we see it picked up later in the New Testament that first it's for the Jews and then it's for the Gentiles. And Jesus has come for to, to save Israel first. We would want to say, and that flows out to all Gentile believers as well. Mm. Now, how does the woman? Because the woman responds brilliantly to what the Lord Jesus says to her. How does she respond to Jesus in verse twenty-eight? It's interesting that she knows her place, <laughs> you know, kind of, because she takes on the term, uh, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She takes on the term for herself, uh, so she understands her place, but then, you know, quite quick-wittingly shows that that um, 
you know, Jesus' ministry can actually flow out further than just the Israelites. Mm, yeah, she picks up the analogy and uh, really is very, very quick-witted. So how, how then has Jesus come for the whole of humanity? Well, I think this, this shows that Jesus is not only for the Jews, that he is uh, kind of for all. This is why he's come. And, and particularly with that contrast between the, the teachers and the Pharisees with this lady shows us uh, that that kind of the, the the beauty of what Jesus is doing. He has not come for those that think that they are saved. He's come for the people who are the the least and the lost. Mm-hmm. Okay, verses thirty one to thirty seven. Uh, then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him, and taking him aside from the crowd private. This is always puzzled me as to why Jesus always spits when he when he heals people in, yeah. the, in this context with and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him Ephatha, is it? I don't know how to pronounce that. Ephatha, that is be opened. There's too many vowels there. (laughs) Too many consonants. Yes. And as ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, so where does Jesus go here then? So we're told that he's heading to the region of the Decapolis. So that's... The ten uh, cities. Yeah, ten cities. Mm. And so it's kind of, um, if you look on a map, you've got the Jordan River that runs kind of down through kind of Israel. Uh, and it's it's outside of Israelite territory. Um, so so Jesus is kind of skirting around it. Yeah. How do the Gentile woman and the deaf man contrast with the Jewish leaders in the previous section? Well, you know, this uh, this man, you know, what happens to him? Um, you know, he's people people bring him to Jesus. He doesn't even come himself here, which is kind of interesting. There were some people who brought the man to Jesus, and they begged him to place his hands on the man, which is an, I, I I don't know what's going on there exactly, but it's kind of interesting. But what you what you have here is two people who are hopeless. Uh, they've got absolutely no hope in the world. One, it's the daughter of the of this lady who, who's healed, and here you have the man, uh, the one receiving the fruit of his friend's uh, kind of faith as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. You know, people coming with with basically nothing, but both of them are people who are outside of the Israelite kingdom. Yes, and I suppose like the Jewish leaders, he's deaf and he doesn't see things all that well. Yeah, I think this is the thing when when you see these types of healings. Uh, in in Mark, Mark uses them as little illustrations for the people that are in the story. Uh, that you know they are the ones, the Jewish leaders are the ones who are deaf uh, and are mute in, in some way. And we're going to see that when we get into chapter eight as well about the disciples. That something about them that they're blind. And so Mark mm. uses inserts these little stories in there to show us what's really going on, kind of with some of the other characters. Yes, and they compare and contrast with one another. Why does Jesus spit? He does a lot of spitting in the gospel. <clears throat> Does he, oh, my question is, does he spit on the man's tongue or does he just spit somewhere else? Well, interestingly, <laughs> uh, John chapter 9, I looked this up, Jesus spits on the ground mm. and makes clay and anoints the eyes of the blind man with clay. And I wondered whether that was kind of because God made Adam out of clay, out mm. of the dust of the, uh, of the clay of the ground, didn't he, in Genesis. Yes. So I wonder if that's in John, certainly, it's the idea that the man is being uh, is like a new restored Adam, that this is God... 
uh, in uh, human form making another man, uh, making a new man, yeah, um, re, um, renewing the man uh, and making a new creation out of him. But I, I don't know whether that would apply in this, in this case, but it's interesting that we have the same spitting going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. It's just interesting, isn't it? It is Jesus interesting. Does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There could be some... There, there, I'd be surprised if in John's case there wasn't some biblical theology going on. Anyway, how does this passage refer back to Isaiah 35? Well, well, I read a bit from Isaiah 35. So verse 3, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and it goes on and on. Of it, particularly the, you know, in and in a highway, will be uh, will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go on about it. So what do we have here? We have this coming true in Jesus' ministry, don't we? Mm-hmm. Uh, you kind of what have we got? You know, the, the, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Ah, yes, exactly yes. what I, Isaiah has been yes. talking about, that this day has come true in Jesus' ministry. Mm. And in what ways is the confession in verses 36 to 37 the first confession of faith in the, in the story? Well, you have other people kind of coming and kind of showing faith, but here it's actually recorded of what's going going on. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. He said he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're starting to, to put things together, uh, that this Jesus has you know, been doing the things that we've been hoping for. Even though he's outside Jewish territory, these Gentile people are understanding who Jesus is. What's the significance of the confession, of this confession being made in Gentile territory? Well, I, I think it's, it shows that even though kind of God's word um, and covenants were revealed to Israel and given to them, uh, that it flows out further than just them. Uh, and, and God's plan from all of history has been to gather his people from across all nations. Uh, and what we're seeing here is that very thing happening. Mm. Okay, well, thanks. <laughs> thanks. It's a, great, it's, a great, it's a great passage. So summing it all up, and in contrast with the first bit of chapter 7, what do we see with these two characters? I think we see faith in both of them. Where in, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, at the beginning of chapter 7, we have this um, accusation of uncleanness, then in chapter uh, the end of chapter 7, we see these two characters who are unclean, but what really is going on is unbelief and belief. That, that's, that's the deeper problem that, that, that is really happening here. It's nothing to do with being clean or unclean. It's belief and unbelief. That is the most important thing for the kingdom. Mm. Ian Reid, uh, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston North, New Zealand. Thank you so much. And thanks to our creative team at Liquid Edge who take care of things behind the scenes. Uh, and who sponsor this podcast. I normally say it round the other way, but they do. (laughs) And thanks, Ian. Thanks so much. Thank you. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, 
you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude, plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.